Welcome to the Math Ed Podcast. I'm Brendan Dames from the University of Missouri and a guest host for this episode. With me today is Nicole Louie, an assistant professor in the Department of Curriculum and Instruction at the University of Wisconsin-Madison. Dr. Louie, thank you for taking the time to speak with us today. Thanks so much for having me. Today, we're going to be discussing her article, Agency Discourse and the Reproduction of Hierarchy in Mathematics Instruction, which is forthcoming in the journal Cognition and Instruction. But first, as a graduate student, I'm very interested in your experiences as a graduate student. Can you tell me a little bit about that? Sure. So I was very fortunate to go to grad school at the University of California, Berkeley, where I worked with Alan Schoenfeld, Nayla Nasir, and Judith Warren Little. One thing that I really appreciated about my time at Berkeley was just the way that those faculty really supported student community. Mm. The students that I met there continue to be the colleagues who I turn to the most for both emotional support and generating ideas and writing together and um, having that extended family in academia has really made it much more pleasurable and survivable for me. Yeah, who are some of the scholars that you worked with at Berkeley? Right now, I'm writing with Aditya Adirija at the University of Arizona. I've written with Neural Shah and Dan Reinholtz, Eva Baldinger, and then also a lot of, I guess, the earlier generations of my, my academic siblings of people who uh, were students of Allen's, like Danny Martin, mm-hmm. Vicki Hand, uh, worked with him as a postdoc, Lonnie Horn. So just a really large and supportive academic family. Yeah, sounds awesome. So now thinking back to the article, is there kind of like a behind the scenes story about the origin uh, of this forthcoming article? Yeah, so something that I allude to a little bit in the article is as a graduate student with Alan, um, I worked on a project where we developed a framework uh, called the, the True or Teaching for Robust Understanding of Mathematics dimensions where we identified five dimensions of powerful mathematics instruction. And uh, when we were working on that project on the research end, we knew that we wanted uh, to develop some tools that would also be useful for professional development. And uh, a concern that we had was that the rubrics that we developed for research would be used in ways that would really damage teachers and teaching Mm. as much, if not more so, than supporting the kinds of improvements and learning that we wanted to see So a few members of the team, including myself, worked on changing those rubrics or adapting them into a tool for professional development that we called a conversation guide. So instead of rating teachers, it was sort of, here are some questions that teachers might think about in partnership with other people like coaches or colleagues, administrators. Um, So it really came from this place of wanting to respect the work that teachers do and being cognizant that some of the tools that we produce for research might have negative consequences because that's not what they're designed for if they're used for that purpose. But I really didn't know where it would go. I didn't expect anything particular to come of it. I just didn't want people using rubrics and taking them into classrooms, like giving teachers ones and twos Mm -hmm. um, and telling them they were bad. But I really didn't expect that people would actually use it or find it particularly valuable (laughs) So I happened to be at a conference um, at AMTE one year, and a friend of mine said, oh, you know, this? I, I was just in a session with this woman who's super excited about True. You have to meet her. 
And that was really intriguing to me, and it kicked off this whole conversation about what she was doing in her district and how she was seeing it actually empowering teachers. And I really wanted to learn more about how that could be, because, you know, the value of any tool really depends on its use. So I, I didn't feel like it was inherent to what we had written, that it would be, that it would be valuable. Right. Um, and I just wanted to learn more about what they were doing. So that's how the project started. Awesome. Okay. So we know widespread debates persist around these ideas of traditional and reform approaches to math teaching. And in your paper, you take the lens of discourses, and specifically agency discourse and hierarchical discourse. So why did you take that lens of discourse, and what did you mean by agency discourse and hierarchical discourses? So why did I take the lens of discourse? I think one of my agendas in working in teacher education uh, and its intersection with math education is to change the way that we think about teachers, that so much of the public conversation about teachers at this point in time is about how teachers are problems, how teachers don't know enough or don't have enough skills or their beliefs are messed up. I'm really interested in thinking about the ways that what teachers do is sensible. So the same way that in math education, I feel like we have made a ton of progress in thinking about what students do is sensible, even Mm -hmm. if it's not correct or normative or whatever, bringing that same perspective to thinking about how what teachers do, even when it's problematic or doesn't support student learning the way that we would like it to, it makes sense within the cultural and political contexts, um, as well as the material contexts that they're placed in. And I thought that discourse was a way of doing that, of thinking about how ideas that aren't just in teachers' heads, that aren't just in individuals' beliefs, but um, are actually circulating through society and in many ways built into the working lives of teachers, Um, discourses, I think, gives me a way to do that. Okay, yeah. So, of course, there are more details in the article, but briefly, can you describe the context and data for the study? Sure. So, I conducted the study in a large urban school district in the United States. When I originally conceptualized the study, one of the things I was really interested in was looking at how hierarchies of mathematical ability Um, intersect with racial hierarchies in classroom interaction. And it ended up being that the schools that the project I was studying was working with at the time of the study, well, the district was so segregated, and the schools that they ended up focusing on while I was there were almost 100% African American, so that was the demographic of the schools. I focused my data collection on work with the teachers, and the professional development was really focused on supporting teachers to shift their math instruction in ways that would support more student voice and uh, what they were referring to as agency, um, moving away from some of those familiar teacher-centered practices so that students would have more opportunities to generate their own ideas and learn from each other. So the study involved five schools. The professional development project, which I call the Elementary Math Collaborative, Mm -hmm. involved many more, but I just chose to focus on five for this study. Um, And most of the data came from meetings of the teacher teams at those sites. So I went to some of the workshops that were also an important part of setting the conversation that happened in those schools. But then the analysis mainly came from meetings that teachers had that were facilitated by the EMC coach, where she would basically visit, one of the teachers would volunteer to be the lead teacher, they would plan together, 
watch the lead teacher teach what they had planned um, in their classroom and then come back and debrief. So I am speaking with Nicole Louie from the University of Wisconsin. And now, uh, Dr. Louie, in what ways did you see the teachers using agency discourse in their classrooms? So I was super impressed by this just because like, we know that instruction resists a lot of changes. Um, but they worked really hard to bring agency discourse into their work. So one thing that I saw was that they used agency discourse to kind of set a vision of how their instruction should be which I think is super important because for many of these teachers, they haven't experienced the kind of instruction that we're trying to get them to enact. So um, leveraging agency discourse to talk about what they want to see happening in their classrooms, like that they want to see students taking ownership over their learning, for example, um, to me was powerful. I also saw them using agency discourse to make concrete decisions about their instruction and one place that this constantly came up over and over was in their talk about what to tell students and what to leave for students to figure out on their own. So like one teacher might ask a question about, you know, I was thinking about telling them that they don't need these two pattern blocks for this activity. And another teacher would say, well, why do you want to tell them that? Like, don't you think that they can figure that out on their own? So agency discourse came into their conversations in that way. Um, another way that it came in was just in building kind of a sense of solidarity. Um, so it really impressed me that these teachers were able to reveal struggles that they were having in their classrooms around supporting student agency. And then they were able to share in those struggles with their colleagues. So saying, you know, I just have this real habit of spoon feeding them and I've got to stop doing it, but it's so hard. Can you like pull me back if you see me doing that? And instead of it being a thing that teachers were ashamed about or a thing where it was like that it wasn't safe for them to share with their colleagues that they were struggling, mm -hmm. they really worked together to develop the sense of being a team that we're all working on this. We're all struggling with it and we're going to help each other. Yeah, that's very important. So how did you see the teachers using then the hierarchical discourse? So in spite of the fact that they used agency discourse for lots of different things and that it came into their conversations very routinely, I kept hearing them talk about high kids and low kids. Mm. And at first I thought, well, I wondered, are they just using those as shorthand to talk about certain kids, but maybe it's not really affecting what they actually do with those kids or those kids' opportunity to learn. But the more time that I spent with them, I feel like it became really clear that they were using hierarchy discourse to reason about the kinds of opportunities that students should have. So for example, um, in one planning meeting, they were talking about um, whether the teacher would ask students to share their thinking um, as a way to close the lesson. One of the teachers in the meeting said, yeah, you know, you can just pick those high kids, those ones that you probably have in mind already. And the lead teacher said, oh, yeah, I know who I'm going to call on. Hmm. So, you know, clearly there there's some um, opportunities for sharing their thinking, for being seen as capable mathematical thinkers that students who the teachers weren't already thinking of as high just were not going to get. I also saw instances where even when students who were considered low shared really solid mathematical thinking, the teachers just continued to talk about them as low. So 
um, there's one instance in the paper where a girl has done some really sophisticated thinking about multiplying by a unit fraction. And in the debrief, the teacher says, yeah, you know, even Kayla, who is very, very low, was able to see, you know, blah, blah, blah. And there just wasn't, it, it didn't seem like there was any space for that way of thinking about kids to be questioned. So in a funny way, I think it also, um, like this function of building solidarity also happened through hierarchy discourse and the ways that teachers refused to is too strong, but avoided challenging each other. Mm. Um, and even would join in if somebody said, well, you know, I'm not sure I should do this because these kids are really low. You know, the school is just... Um, and the coach might say something like, well, are you sure? May I think they could handle it. And other teachers was, would just jump in and say, no, these kids. So there's this way that even though they were building ideas and a sense of team identity around supporting student agency, they were maintaining a more conservative identity around what these kids can and can't do. Right. So having written this article, how do you see it relating to the ongoing efforts in mathematics education towards equity and inclusion? So I think for me, one takeaway is um, similar to things that Danny Martin and others have said, our language about all students and supporting all students to experience agency or positive math identities may not be adequate to dismantle these persistent hierarchies and that part of the reason they're so persistent is not just that they live in individual teachers' heads as sort of stubborn beliefs, but that they are part of larger ideologies that circulate through society and that organize things like standardized testing where students are constantly labeled high and low or on target or behind. So I think that understanding that just highlights how important it is for us to interrogate how hierarchies, whether or not, they are connected to particular racial groups or gender or um, income or language. These hierarchies persist and we have to look at them a lot more closely if we're actually going to make the vision of, that we have for mathematics education available to all students. So again, um, this article, Agency Discourse and the Reproduction of Hierarchy in Mathematics Instruction, is forthcoming soon in the journal Cognition and Instruction. Um, before we go, uh, let's step outside the research field for a second and kind of have a fun question here for you. So if you are not in the math education world, what career can you imagine yourself doing instead? That's a tough one. If I weren't a researcher, um, I often think about going back to the classroom because I definitely have not tapped out the learning that I have to do there. And mm -hmm. I really enjoy and miss spending more time with kids. Um, but if I were completely outside of math education, I guess one thing that um, I've wanted to do since I was a kid uh, was write children's books. Huh. I think that would be fun. Yeah. Do you think, do you see yourself also illustrating those books or is writing more your strength so than the drawing. <laughs> yeah, I think I think I have some like I would say drawing would be a growth area okay. for me. <laughs> right. That I would be um, interested in growing in, but uh, yeah, probably working with an illustrator would be yeah. Good idea. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, Nicole, thank you so much for being here. Thank you so much for having me.